Hello, wonderful people of the planet Earth. Welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and uh, this is episode number 69, and it's part number 10 of our series, uh, Setting the Bible Free. And now, I told you when this thing started, I don't know, when, when was it? Back in, oh, back in September, I said we were going to do 10 parts of the series. But I've got a secret for you, okay? Are you ready? Here's the secret. We have another episode next week. That's right. We're going with 11 parts to the series uh, because I'm bringing on a very special guest who I've recently met. He is a uh, rising voice uh, in the scholarly world. He has a brand new book, his first book, uh, coming out in December. I'm excited for you to uh, meet him and to hear him. I think you're going to be hearing his voice for many, many years to come. And I'm excited that he's coming on the podcast to share his voice with you and with me uh, for this series. So get ready for that. But this is part 10 of the series. And uh, today we're sitting down with my friend Bushi. So Bushi is a Buddhist Zen monk who used to be an evangelical Christian pastor. What the heck did I just say? You heard me right. He is a Buddhist Zen monk. He used to be a Christian evangelical pastor. Uh, he has experienced quite a shift in his faith, uh, but he, this man is going to blow your mind. Uh, this is such a great conversation. I met him at Wild Goose, um, and I, just, I have learned so much from him in the things I've heard him say, the talks I've heard him give, uh, the things I've read of him online. Uh, this is a great conversation, so I can't wait for you uh, to join me in it. Uh, real quick, though, a couple things. Uh, I'm not going to talk about Patreon this week. You can go check it out in the show notes if you want to give to the show. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the What If Project community. That's our closed Facebook group. That link will also be in the show notes, but I am going to tell you about something else that's coming up. So the week after next, we're already we're going to be like into December already. Uh, the week after next, we are going to start a Christmas series here at the podcast. And I, if you know me, if you're friends with me, like in real life and we hang out, I'm kind of a Christmas junkie. Like I love Christmas. Uh, once like October rolls around, it's pumpkin everything. And once we hit like uh, mid-November, I'm starting to feel Christmassy inside. Uh, once I take the last bite of my turkey on Thanksgiving, Home Alone comes out, right? We we roll the tape on Home Alone. Christmas music. I want that Christmas tree up. Where's my Santa hat? Get me a cup of peppermint hot chocolate. Let's go, right? Like it's Christmas time. I love Christmas. So we're doing this series uh, and the series is going to be called Keep Christ in Christian. Now you thought I was going to say Keep Christ in Christmas. Like I was going to do a, a bumper sticker kind of series here. Nope, 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 nope. Keep Christ in Christian. I hate the phrase, keep Christ in Christmas. I don't know why it bothers me so much. It just does. I'll try to unpack it a little bit in the opening episode of the series. Uh, but this is going to be a great series. Instead of talking about how do we keep Christ the focus of Christmas in the month of December, uh, how about how do we keep Christ the focus of our lives every single day of the year? How do we keep the way of Christ at the forefront of our mind? Love, grace, peace, forgiveness, 
all of those different things? How do we ingrain the way of Christ um, into our everyday lives? So I'm excited about it. I will tell you more about it uh, probably next week. And now there will also be an opportunity to to give to a very great cause uh, during the Christmas season that I will also let you know about. There are t-shirts. If you want to get a t-shirt, a long sleeve t-shirt, a sweatshirt that says keep Christ and Christian on the front, uh, go to the show notes. Uh, I got some t-shirts made on Bonfire. They are there for sale. Go pick one up and represent the series and the What If Project podcast uh, this holiday season at your dinner table. You want to start an argument at the dinner table? Throw on the t-shirt and uh, bring it bring it to your your meal. Don't do that. I don't want to be responsible for that um, at all. But anyway, like I said, this is episode number 69 and part number 10 of our series, Setting the Bible Free. Uh, let's roll the tape. This is my conversation with Bushi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. Uh, it is great to have you here today. And it's good to stop by because we're sitting down with my new friend, uh, Bushi. He is an ex-pastor turned uh, Buddhist monk. And uh, my hunch, sir, is that you are about to blow my mind. So uh, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So glad to be a part of what you're doing with the What If Project. I'm on. Uh, well, thank you. So I first heard about you uh, at the Wild Goose Festival where you were teaching at Wisdom Camp alongside uh, Mike Morell and some others. Yeah. And then I went and I listened to your uh, conversation with the liturgists on their podcast. Mm-hmm. And before that, though, I had like no idea who you were at all. I never heard <laughs> of you before. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, my world just became consumed with you. <laughs> and so- and so I thought before we jump into our chat, uh, there's probably some people who maybe don't know who you are. So maybe you could take some yeah. time to share with us who you are, uh, what do you do, what makes you yeah. tick, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So thank you very much. I, um, I, I would start out by saying rather generally, I'm a rather simple person. Um, however, I have a tremendous um, drive, so to mm. speak for the the mystical, you know, the mysterious, the areas in which uh, human beings uh, seldomly venture into and um, make it a home, you know, those very mysterious places. Um, but I am a former Christian minister, and before I uh, go to, to that point, I'm also a, a, a former preacher's kid. Mm. I was... Uh, I was a preacher's kid. My grandmother was a Southern Baptist uh, preacher down in West Palm Beach, Florida. Hmm. And um, I was uh, her, her uh, introducer, I should say. I would be the one who would introduce my grandmother before she uh, got up to speak. And uh, I started doing this when I was six years old. Hmm. Uh, so in doing that, I had an opportunity to, you know, once you introduce someone, you kind of just sit back and, uh, in my case, over in the choir stand and listen to all that my grandmother was doing. Hmm. So ministry just kind of rather grew on to me. The, uh, the ethos uh, of the church uh, rather grew on to me, and I began to understand it more and more as I grew with age. Hmm. Um, and I ventured off into ministry at some point in my life. And um, 
that was, uh, I would say, insufficient for my inquiry. You know, I went on and got a, uh, a well-rounded education and did a lot of independent research myself, and I was mm. still not satisfied with the answers in which I was getting. Mm. Um, and so Buddhism became, uh, became a very interesting place for me to, to look, um, largely due to the fact that I... Um, I had long since recognized that uh, I had been a product of my parents' doing, a product of my grandparents' doing, a product of my society. And uh, inwardly, internally, I wanted to be something else. I wanted to do something else. I wanted to experience life in a different way. Hmm. Uh, and so as life uh, went on, away from being six years old, um, I grew into uh, further knowledge and and uh, broaden my horizons of, uh, of both God and Jesus and Buddha and Shiva and Krishna and so many other uh, idols of our religious tendency uh, mm. and explore those from a very personal perspective. Mm. So for our listeners who maybe aren't super familiar with um, Buddhism, how would you describe mm. that to somebody? Like, I know that's a loaded question, but if you had to give us like a four or five minute crash course in Buddhism. Yeah. Uh, what are the big, like what's the vision of Buddhism? What's it about? So I will give you um, what uh, one great uh, Buddhist master, one Zen master said, and it was a most profound uh, explanation as to what Buddhism is. Mm. Um, and T.D. Suzuki said that Buddhism, to put it in a nutshell, is about recognizing that everything changes, mm. everything changes. Um, the Buddha himself, Siddhartha Gautama, um, was a prince. He was reared in a very royal sense. He was guarded as an individual, uh, as a child and as a young adult by his father, who was a king. Mm. And uh, the Buddha himself, wanted to see more. He wanted to venture off and to experience more uh, of life outside of the palace. And as he did that, he discovered uh, many profound things that were relative to human nature. Mm. And uh, one of the things that he noted and uh, built his entire thesis of practice around was that everything changes. Mm. And if we can be within the change, very viably, very active in the change, then we will suffer less as these manifestations of change happen in our lives. Mm. Um, so Buddhism is just that. It is recognizing that uh, everything, and many, in many cases, most of what we hold to be empirical uh, is not necessarily empirical at all. Mm. Uh, and that uh, even our empiricisms change. One mm. of the things I like to point to is when I was a child, Pluto was a planet. And now it is not considered such. You sit there. Mm. And at one point when I was a child, this was empirical. This was uh, the way that it was. This is the truth. Mm. And uh, it is not that way now. So Buddhism, Buddhism is largely about recognizing that things change and that we should not hold on to uh, certain thoughts, emotions, reflections, feelings, those sorts of things, because they change and they can change. They can change largely within ourselves. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me then, it sounds like very easy for Buddhism then to fall into line with the way of Christ, because it feels very to me so. like that's very much a teaching of Christ. Very much so. 
Mm. Um, I, I think in many cases, religion and our religious um, patterns, mm. you know, keep, uh, keep the two from, from seeing eye to eye. You know, you can sometimes hold on to one idea so strongly um, and an obvious truth may be countering that right before your eyes, but because of devotion to that thing you're holding on to, you mm. may uh, continue to suffer even if truth is before you. Mm. So uh, Buddhism, uh, with its everything changes mentality, is, uh, is certainly, in my opinion, uh, relative and very uh, in line with uh, the teachings of Christ. You know, Christ once said to, to someone who queried him about the law, you know, they said, well, the law says this, and this is what we should do, and this is how we should go about it. And Christ said, well, you know, I, I know the law, but I say <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> everything changes. Yeah. Mm. Now, excuse mm -hmm. my excuse my ignorance, but is is there a, a a focus of worship in Buddhism? Is there a god in Buddhism? Is what exactly does that look like? How does that differ from Christianity, or is it similar? Yeah. So in Buddhism, there's particularly no god. Okay. Now, it isn't like that. We we worship the Buddha as the Buddha is a creator or some sort of uh, supreme being that is above all beings. Mm. Um, but the Buddha was a person. Mm. The Buddha was a man who achieved a level of clarity about mm. himself um, that is available to all human beings. Mm. And one of the things that uh, kind of curtails our reaching that enlightenment or that awakening state uh, that the Buddha reached is holding on to the notions that uh, much of our assistance, much of our help, much of what we need for the world is to be found outside of ourselves, either in the clouds or in prayers, in heaven, if you will. Um, and uh, the Buddha, you know, insisted that uh, there's, there's really no need for gods. Everything that you need, you can find within yourself. Mm. And uh, so I, as a Christian, I, I look at that as, uh, well, you know, if, if, if we have to do the work mm. you know, of finding this, uh, this royal place of uh, unionship with God, uh, then uh, I think uh, we should do, you know, what Christ did not mm. necessarily uh, what others have propagated about Christ. He was a very compassionate person. He was a very kind person. He was willing to uh, break rules, so to speak, mm. in order to uh, uh, get things done for other people. So mm. Buddhism emphasizes that tremendously. Like There is no particular God uh, that you should be worshiping. You should note within yourself Hmm. Um, that there are certain delusions that you should uh, remove. You can, you can remove those, that you can uh, benefit from this emptiness hmm. of reliance on something outside of yourself. That does not mean that you, uh, you cannot still hold God in high esteem. Hmm. Uh, but what it does mean is that, uh, well, if you look over the course of history, we've relied a great deal on God, and uh, this is where we've, we've landed as a society. Mm. So I think uh, Buddhism gives us the very tacit tools, mm. uh, the very tacit tools, T-A-C-I-T, to encounter a clear and divine presence within ourselves. And from this, we can take the illustrations of Jesus and act them out. Mm. I, think, I think that's helpful because I think a lot of people, and I had this uh, 
idea in the past is that Buddha was someone who was worshipped. Uh, but in reality, yeah. you're saying that he was a person just like you and I who achieved this clarity that yeah. you and I and everyone else is able to achieve. And I think that draws a great parallel to Christ. I was just talking this morning to uh, Doug Paget, who wrote mm -hmm. a, a book about outdoing Jesus. He talks about how, yeah, 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 he talked about how, you know, Jesus achieved this, this way of life that he invites all of us to achieve as well. And then the that's idea right. is to go above and beyond that um, in our right. world and the life that we live. So I think that's a beautiful parallel. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, you know, is so profound about um, Jesus and the Buddha is something that I'm constantly talking about these days. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was just uh, engaged with a, a group from Athens, uh, Georgia here, just uh, just a, about an hour and a half ago. Hmm. And one of the things that Jesus uh, did most profoundly was demonstrate the way of humanity. Hmm. You know, it's amazing that uh, when we speak of humanity today, it uh, does not come without some sort of contest of words. Yeah. It is not as if it, uh, it does not come with some sort of contest of supremacy, of idea about humanity. Hmm. Uh, and Jesus, you know, kind of circumnavigated all of that and went directly to the humanity itself. Yeah. And I think that is the, the learning field. Hmm. That is the place in which we benefit, uh, you know, having a relationship with God when hmm. we touch humanity as Jesus touched it, hmm. not as a dictator, not as one determining this is right or wrong, but uh, touch humanity in the places that it hurts the most. Hmm. See? Um, and, that, and so I'm always talking about that. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you uh, really two main questions today. And uh, one of them was more of a personal question. The other one is more mm -hmm. about, about the Bible. And so mm -hmm. I figure I'll start with the personal one. You kind of went into it already, but I really was just hoping to hear um, some of the finer details um, of, your, of your story. And um, yeah. I asked that because, you know, you said that you used to pastor a church. Uh, now yeah. you're a Buddhist monk. And I'm wondering... What are the, what are the, I guess, the bigger pieces of your story that led into that season of deconstruction, for lack of a better word? Um, maybe a little bit too about like what, what kind of pushback did you receive? Because I used to pastor a church, so I can imagine if I made this decision in that time of my life, I can imagine the pushback I would have gotten. So I'm wondering what kind of pushback yeah. have you gotten? How have you dealt with that? How have you processed that? So maybe just walk me through a little bit of the bigger pieces of your sure. story. Sure. But, but I, let me start by saying between the, um, between the years of 1988 and 2001, mm. um, I was a Marine reservist. I had served for a period of time, four years as an active duty Marine. Mm and uh, began this, uh, this kind of educational quest, this theological quest. And being active duty, um, I didn't have the availability to uh, sit in a college or, or university full time. And so mm. back in the uh, early 90s, the late 80s, there was this thing called distance learning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I enrolled in a number of uh, distance learning institutions and uh, most of my theological uh, inquiry was largely done through coursework through various schools, but also independently. Mm. Um, 
that, that worked well for me because being a tremendous introvert, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really good. It would not appear that way now, but I'm much better by myself than I am talking to a bunch of other people. Mm. Um, and I started this, uh, this really deep theological reasoning, this, uh, this deep quest to understand how is it that this incarnate Christ, uh, incarnate, note the word, Mm. Uh, of God and of man, you know, is failing yeah. in human society with a church on every corner. Mm. Uh, here I was, this uh, at one point, this six-year-old little boy, and now a minister, and uh, serving in the in the Marines, and mm. uh, you know, I still had these deep theological questions. And one of them was, how is it that Christ has failed? Mm. How it is this? You know, he's He's, uh, he's established residency in every city, every country just about on the planet, yet uh, the people who represent uh, Christ's establishment, God's establishment, have failed in epic proportion mm. on this planet. And uh, as I looked at many of the theological institutions that I um, had been engaged with, many of them were teaching this kind of rather... Uh, dogmatic approach to understanding God, this rather dogmatic approach to understanding Christ. Whereas in my independent research, what I saw of Christ of the scriptures was a man who was engaged with humanity. Mm. He spent a lot of time teaching in the temples. He spent a lot of time talking to people in the backwoods and alongside roads. And so I figured then maybe this is where I should start uh, my investigative quest. And uh, so I did that for a period of time. And I did that independently. I was outside of the church. Um, and then when I took on reserve status, um, I decided that I would, uh, I would venture back into ministry and, uh, you know, teach if I could. And a opening came up for me. Uh, this place actually called me to serve as its pastor. Uh, where I am right now. Hmm. And, uh, you know, they really enjoyed hearing about these different viewpoints, this uh, independent perspective of Christ, this reimagination of Christ. And uh, many gave pushback. Many, you know, really thought it refreshing. Hmm. Um, but as we started to develop this, uh, this ministry with all of that, um, something terrible happened when I got here in 2008. And that is my, uh, my daughter was uh, tragically killed. Mm. And I'm almost certain that I lost my mind, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I literally, uh, you know, had to go silent for a period of time because uh, everything that I would dare to talk about made no sense. There were people that were sitting around and they're like, what is he talking about? Yeah. And I realized that I was in such a tremendous state of depression mm. and sadness, and yet and still trying to make theological truth of, you know, the validity of my, my daughter's passing. Mm. And so this started the, um, you know, the eight, nine, almost 10 years worth of silence for me about, uh, you know, why I went into Buddhism and why I wanted to devote myself to becoming this, uh, this Buddhist monk who did a rather independent thing, you yeah. see. Um, when people discovered what I was doing, 
they they initially thought it was absolutely crazy. You are you're you're doing a thing that can't be done. You're trying to <laughs> Christ. <laughs> you're trying to reason Christ into a Buddhist context. Yeah. And what they failed to realize was that the reasoning had already been established. Mm. I was now attempting to live um, the actions of Christ through an understanding of human suffering. And so my suffering, coupled with meditation, unlocked a great deal of, you know, truth, mistruth, about what it is that I was believing and doing and, mm. and holding up as, uh, as Christian. Mm. And uh, so as it developed, um, many people, many people, you know, thought that this is great. This is wonderful. Finally, mm. um, someone's saying something, someone's doing something that uh, is different and yet challenges us to be more like Christ through our own sufferings. Mm. Uh, but uh, it has in large part been a very wonderful journey. It's been mm. wonderful. The support has come alongside tremendously. It's not been without ups and downs, but I think um, more people are starting to realize that there's got to be more mm. to the American Christian church mm. than what it has been. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Mm -hmm. Would you say that when, when your daughter passed away that, did you feel that like all of the, um, maybe the theological answers that you once had for suffering, like no longer fit because I asked that because my, my wife and I, we had a, we had a miscarriage um, about yeah. four years ago and yeah. obviously a much, much different than what your circumstances. But I remember that right. when that happened, I remember standing in the hospital, remember the doctor coming in, remember him delivering the news rather coldly. And I remember like inside all of those, I, just, I don't know, I just felt like all those answers that I had built up that I would give to everybody else that just yep. for a while made sense. All of a sudden, I'm like, none of this makes any sense. Yep. In the Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That is exactly what happened to me. And I mm -hmm. think that was the stark reality. It's a, it's a very thwarting thing to, yeah. to lose a child. I, just like many others, um, you know, had always said, you know, oh, I can imagine what that's like. Mm. Oh, I can just only imagine what you're going through. And the reality is, no, you cannot mm. um, to lose a child, as you know yourself. You know, yeah. we are alumni of that suffering mm. uh, to lose a child is it's unbearable. Yeah. It unroots you. It mm. unnerves you. It sends all of your bolts and screws in different directions and your foundation is now shaky. Yeah. Um, and that is the one thing that stood out to me as I stood there looking at my daughter. You know, theologically, I'm trying to, I stood over my daughter, you know, trying to find some sort of theological ointment, so to speak, mm. you know, to put on my suffering and I realized something, um, something profound. That's my DNA. Yeah. That's, that's laying right there. And so that, that put a different curve on the severity of what my theological developments need to be. Mm. You see. Um, so it, it, it utterly changed everything. And it was the cantilever. It was the one thing that sent me into, um, the along the path in which I've followed for the last 10, 11 years. 
it is the one thing. Uh -huh. mm. So sometimes, you know, sometimes I, I tend to tell people this, sometimes it takes really hard things to get through to us uh, in some of the really hard places, mm. you see. Yeah. Um, and I know that sounds, you know, kind of, oh, well, it's, it's not relying on fate or faith. It's just sometimes things happen. One of the first, uh, or I should say the first of the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism is that all life is suffering. That's <laughs> <laughs> the so, truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. So I want to uh, shift gears a little bit and pick your brain um, about, about the Bible. And um, mm. at Wild Goose, I, I didn't, honestly, when I first saw you, I'm like, I don't know what's going to come out of this guy's mouth. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what, what to expect from you. Um, but I, I was fascinated because you, you walked us through um, a whole lot of different things about Buddhism, but you quoted the Bible like time and time again. So I'm wondering, Absolutely. I'm wondering how has your experience with Buddhism maybe impacted the way that you understand uh, the Bible, like how did Buddhism maybe change your approach to the Bible, change how you understand it, and maybe give mm -hmm. us some examples of what that might might look like? Yeah, sure. You know, I, just like many people, I grew up in a conditioned church, in a conditioned religion, mm -hmm. uh, Southern Baptist, Primitive Baptist, mm -hmm. uh, Missionary Baptist, and back to Southern Baptist. Um, and there are, the uh, language is, is quite important. Mm. Uh, you know, the language that is used in church, especially the Southern church, usually speaks to affirm a doctrine or, or some sort of doc dogmatic uh, viewpoint, or it seeks to uh, confirm an error mm. of one's behavior or, you know, viewpoint. Mm. And what I came to understand through Buddhism is that awareness, consciousness is much more important than being right. Mm. Being aware is much more important than being right. That's good. The other thing that I understood of Buddhism was, you know, our pursuits in Christianity lead us to want to dominate various aspects of our own lives, you see. We want to uh, champion our behavior. We want to champion how we speak, how we are. We even want to champion how God views us. And so mm -hmm. we'll change various aspects of ourselves in order to be accepted. And this aspect of control is one of, uh, one of the downfalls of many Christians. It's, it's, it's embedded within the conditioning, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. embedded within the conditioning. And Buddhism taught me that I should much rather liberation as opposed to mind control. Mm. Um, and so I often ask people that today, what do you want? You want mind control or do you want liberation? Mm. Hmm? Yeah. If you seek liberation, then well, what is liberatory about liberation? Well, mm. it frees you. Mm. It frees you from various concepts and uh, constructs and what have you. Uh, but if you seek to control yourself, if you seek mind control, then, well, first of all, you're going against uh, the natural biology of your being. Mm. You cannot uh, turn off your heart <laughs> when you want to. 
You cannot turn off the flow of your blood or air, nor can you do the same thing with your mind. Your mind is a muscle. It does exactly what it, um, what it is designed to do. I should say the brain. The mind is an entirely different uh, operation in there. But, uh, and we want to be able to control that. And in Buddhism, Buddhism encourages that uh, whatever your mind is doing, you should want to see that. Mm. Not to control it, but to see it whether it be right or wrong, to look at it is going to give you a clearer picture of mm. the sufferings in your life. Mm. Uh, we can hold on so tightly to a thing that uh, we associate its rumbling with uh, just a little discomfort. And uh, what it could actually be doing is destroying us, imploding on, from the inside out. Mm. And so Buddhism taught, uh, taught me to release those notions and see things as they are. Mm. Mm. Um, and so the more I read of um, the Buddhist scriptures and the Buddhist sutras and listened to various teachers and took those into my own account, uh, into my own practices, I came to realize, wow, Christ was doing the same thing. Mm. Different man, different method, different religion, different region. Uh, entirely different setup, yet and still, his main focus was to teach people to liberate themselves of the idea of, you know, or duality, mm. you see? Um, your suffering and, and, you know, the idea that someone else is causing your suffering um, is, is, is very valid, but to hold on to the idea that the other person is at fault, <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, you've got to be able to, to, to overcome that. So Buddhism, you know, taught me to see Christ entirely different mm. and from a very tacit perspective. We love to talk about the law of Christ, yeah. uh, but the actions of Christ speak more profoundly. And those are the things that uh, you hardly ever hear uh, coming across pulpits. Why mm. the mere fact that uh, Jesus had doubts, mm. you know, totally committed to a thing, yet having reservations about uh, what he signed on for. He went mm. to the Garden of Gethsemane and said, look, Dad, I, I'm all for you. Mm. I'll do this if you tell me to do it, but uh, I'd rather not. And if you'd allow this to pass from me, um, yeah, that'll be good, too. Mm. But nevertheless, if this is the higher purpose, if this is the thing that is going to liberate people, I'll be willing to go through that. You know, and that is to paraphrase what Jesus actually said from a psychological perspective. Mm. And many of us psychologically find ourselves in those same quagmires, and we so easily, in many cases, yield to the power, yield to the guidance or the dogma, uh, and we're never really open about our reservations. And the mm. reservations are a major part of who you are as a human being. And it's okay mm. to have those reservations, you see. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of the reasons why, you know, when I read the sutras, I also read, um, you know, the, the scriptures, and they're saying the same thing. Mm. Once you get past all of the jargon and you start looking at the behavior, when you begin examining the language, when you begin examining the outcome based on Christ and the Buddha's behavior, mm. you see that they were basically doing the same thing. They were seeking yeah. to liberate human beings mm. uh, from their demise. Mm. Yes. When I, when I listen to what you, you say, I'm reminded of 
you can correct me if I'm wrong or feel free to add to this, whatever, but I'm, I think about my education, like through Bible college and seminary and like all my mm-hmm. theology classes, my Bible classes, it always felt like the goal was to try to almost control the text. Mm. Um, if I could Absolutely. just, if I could just wrap my hand around this text and really understand it and really sink I'll myself into it. Yeah. I'll be enlightened <laughs> and I'll have it. But it seems like what, what you're saying is that, you know, Buddhism taught you about liberation, about letting go and just kind yeah. of letting, let the book, let the writings be what they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, yeah. what we fail to realize is that much of scripture, all of it, if, if, if not much of it, much of it, not, if not all of it, um, is allegorical speaking. It is, mm. you know, there are narratives, there are metaphors, there are, you know, various pointings. Mm. Um, and all of these pointings point back to the self, mm. you see. Um, and this, is, this has been one particular emphasis in Christian theology and Christian history that has not been emphasized enough. Mm. There's a tremendous reliance on the powers of heaven. There's a tremendous reliance on those powers. Why we're so reliant on heaven that uh, instead of getting to know our neighbors next door, uh, as the police leave their house from whatever disturbance they've had, we would rather pray for them mm. as opposed to going over to see what can we do to help with whatever situation you've, uh, you've encountered, you see. Mm. Um, and that is the thing that Jesus did, yeah. you know. He sought out those who were suffering. He didn't pray over them, you know, and just leave them exclusively for someone else to pick up and, you know, uh, that illustration is not even valid in the, the story told of the, the, uh, the good Samaritan. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you see human suffering, you engage. Yeah. This is what uh, enhances your humanity. Mm. This is what enhances it. The more you're willing to get down and dirty with human beings, the more human you become. Wow. And in essence, the more divine you become. Mm. When you lament so much in scripture and writings, all you're doing is, you know, you're swearing allegiance to someone else's words. Mm. But when you live it, when you carry it out, when you make it your own, when you own it, then your humanity begins to change. It's as Mm. if you have a student on the inside of you that says, you know what, these lessons are really getting good. I want them to keep coming because we're benefiting from them. Yeah. So, um, Scriptures, all scriptures have to be lived thoroughly, mm. you know, um, and that is how you, that is how you approach this, this place of understanding both Jesus and the Buddha and Krishna mm. and various other religious leaders. They're all saying the same thing. Um, and the way I put it is they're all saying the same thing. It's, it's just that some like mustard on their hot dog and some <laughs> like relish. That's right. You know, but they all got the hot dog, right? <laughs> That's right. It's all a hot dog. Yeah. It falls on the ground. Everybody's going to wash off the hot dog. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> whatever, whatever they want back on it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, it's yeah. funny. I, I talked to, have you heard of uh, Philip Jenkins? I'm, I'm familiar with the name. I'm not familiar particularly with the work. Uh, so, so he wrote a book uh, called the, I forget the exact name, but it was about the lost 1000 years of Christianity. He describes, okay. he describes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, describes mm-hmm. how the roots of Christianity are in the Eastern world. And he mm. talks about like how the Eastern church kind of, um, you know, got smaller and eventually kind of fell off. And 
but he talks about how very early on in the church, um, there was almost like a friendship between Christianity and other religions such as Buddhism. And he talks about how Christian missionaries would actually work with uh, Buddhists to help them translate some of their own documents into different languages so that they could then go and share it with other people. And it wasn't like a competition. It wasn't like we're elite. We have this control. We have this understanding, but it was almost seemed like a, a liberation of sorts where everybody just kind of yeah. let go of their own faith and just tried to help their fellow man. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in ancient day India, um, ancient day India, you know, before everyone was Hindu, India, you know, was a place where there was no particularly, you know, in, there was no particular emphasis on one religion. Everybody mm-hmm. practiced whatever they wanted to practice. Mm-hmm. And this was societally acceptable. This was, you know, generally known. And it is um, along those lines that I like to imagine, I like to think, that Christ maybe came across some of the uh, variety of teachings uh, uh, in Eastern religion. Mm. And uh, like we all do now, you know, Christ was incarnate, so he was human. And so some of the same tendencies, we learn from other people and take it to where it goes and Mm. work there. So I think Christ uh, may have done that. You know, there is one uh, story within uh, history of one named Zarmaris. Zarmaris was what they they called back then, this is during the time of Alexander, uh, what they called a uh, gymnosophist. Mm. And uh, gymnosophists were known for, you know, um, not wearing much clothing. Um, and they were very devout to very sacred practices. But one of the things that they, uh, they were very well known for doing is doing a great deal of meditation. Mm. And upon uh, the coronation of Alexander, one named Zarmaris appeared. And he was uh, said to have been, been a Buddhist monk or somewhere from uh, India. And his greatest devotion to Alexander at that time, showing honor, was to set himself on fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so this is noted in the, uh, the, the, the annals of, uh, of history within India and uh, within the Christian church. But we never hear about those things. Yeah. We never hear about how other religions have influenced our religion. We somehow believe that uh, Christianity uh, proper is an anomaly of its own demise. Mm. And that is not the case at all. Um, So it, and I just, I guess I could uh, interject here. I think it would uh, be beneficial, you know, for people to look at other religions, especially Christians. Mm look at other religions to see the similarities, see the parallels, see where they come from mm. um, and what uh, theological viewpoints and philosophies that they share mm. and, uh, you know, begin deeply looking at, the, at, at those and then practicing them as well. Mm. That's good. Um, before I let you go, do you have any um, resources you might recommend for people who are listening who are maybe in that, that phase where they're, they're, they're deconstructing, they're rethinking, they're kind of coming out of that evangelical world. They're listening to what you're saying. They're like, yes, I like this. Like what, where can they go to find more of what, of what you're doing and kind of what you're teaching and things like that? So I would say there's a particular book that uh, this book uh, has been with me for over 20 years. Hmm. 
and I continue to read it today right alongside the Bible. Um, and it is called Living Buddha, Living Christ. Mm. And it is written by the, the profound Buddhist teacher, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm. Now, Thich Nhat Hanh is the, uh, the Vietnamese monk, the Vietnamese Buddhist monk, who nominated Dr. Martin Luther King for the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm. Um, and this is a, a very well-known fact, but a very little-known fact to many Christians, mm. that Buddhism is a big part of Christianity, especially in the South, um, and we don't know that. You see, Buddhism uh, largely influenced, uh, Buddhism and Hinduism largely influenced uh, Martin Luther King to start the, uh, the civil rights movement in the manner in which he did, the nonviolent uh, element of it, hmm. you see, uh, strictly born out of both Hindu and Buddhist uh, philosophies and ideologies. Hmm. This particular book, Living Buddha, Living Christ, um, communicates the thing that I've been communicating now for about 10, 11 years. And that is the, the co-joining or the brotherhood mm. of both Jesus and the Buddha. Um, and Thich Nhat Hanh uh, writes about this illustriously, wonderfully. Mm -hmm. And so I recommend that, that particular book. Make it your Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Make it your guide. And uh, I think there's a tremendous um, uh, deal of benefit that, that can come out of this. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, Bushi, this has been a fantastic conversation. I have learned a oh, lot. Thank, thank you, you, Glenn. I am so honored. <laughs> uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I appreciate it. And uh, I would love to have you back again sometime soon. You got it. I'm at your disposal. Thank you. And I'll see you at Wild Goose next year, hopefully. Thank you. Namaste. Uh, you as well. Bye-bye.
back and go back into my feet.